0: plushcare.com slash weight
2: loss
1: hello guys and girls the program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational but it is not a substitute for medical advice although we are doctors we are not your doctors Hello and welcome to travel medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. Jay.
2: <coughs>
0: <coughs> Sorry, this is Dr. Santos, your pediatric <laughs> infectious diseases wookie.
1: I guess we'll just leap right into it. Less than two weeks from when you're hearing this, if I get it up on time, The Force Awakens will be out, and it seems like the perfect time for us all to geek out and cover the medicine of Star Wars and its real-world equivalents. Now, I take on an admirable amount of geekery on this show, but there is no possible way I could do this alone. Santosh is also a certified Star Wars nerd, but even the two of us together We're not enough. So Santosh and I feel that we have a pretty good empire going on here to address Star Wars medicine, but it wouldn't be fair to have the empire without bringing in a fan base or a member of the Rebel Alliance. So joining us to help nitpick all the details and bring up things we may not have thought is Crystal.
2: Hello. Many Bothans died to bring you this information.
1: (laughs) Crystal may have killed most of them on her way over.
0: (laughs) They're the ones blowing all the snow over the
1: Midwest right now. (laughs) It has not turned into Hawk yet, although that is coming.
0: (laughs) Oh, I think you just crossed over Star Wars with Game of Thrones there.
1: I would watch that program.
0: (laughs) Star Wars Game of Thrones? Oh, yeah.
1: That's right. We're here to go into the medicine of a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Why don't we start with one of the first medical things that we see in Star Wars through all the movies, whether you're a fan of the originals or the parts one, two, and three, however you care to refer yes. to them. Something you well, I refer in- to those fans as crazy people.
2: <laughs> and I refer them to the machete order.
1: What is the machete order, Crystal?
2: It's when you're new to Star Wars. It's a way that you go and kind of introduce a newbie to the series. One of the best parts about it is it drops episode one entirely, and it kind of gives you the first two of the originals, then kind of gives you the prequels. You get kind of like the background of Vader, and then brings you back to the last one of the originals and wraps up the story as a whole. It's a really nice way to introduce the Star Wars series if you guys have never seen it before.
1: So, One of the things you notice in all the Star Wars movies, no matter what order you watch them in, is the universe doesn't really have a lot of human doctors, or even alien doctors that we notice. So you wonder, how do people get medical care? Because presumably, they're still getting sick. Well, one of the things we see in, I'd say, every movie are medical droids, or MD droids. (laughs) Clever. They
2: torture droids, too, right? (laughs) They do. (laughs) Yeah, that was fun. <clears throat>
0: Often uh one can take the place of the other in a pinch, especially yeah. if it's for dental work.
1: <laughs> well, some of the droids that we saw in the various Star Wars films were and Crystal you'll have to correct me if I miss some of these names, but the GH seven was the droid at Polis Massa Base that oversaw the medical treatment of Padme along with a midwife droid as she gave birth to Luke and Leia. Yeah. Then there were a team of DD-13 cybernetic surgical droids that were used to reconstruct Darth Vader after he was injured in a duel with Obi-Wan Kenobi. And 2-1-B in FX-7, who replaced Luke's hand with a cyborg replacement after he lost it to Darth Vader on Bespin. So that's, you know, movies from both generations, where you see medical droids who have access in the Star Wars universe to a range of duties while wirelessly connected to a medical facility's main computer or serve as an assistant to organic medics. Now, the question is, how close are we to this? Because I, you see the droids seem to have their own pretty effective artificial intelligence. So are the doctor droids actually running around making clinical decisions, or are there... Alien intelligences directing them from afar. Crystal,
0: do you wanna tell do you wanna do Star Wars first? Because the the AI in Star Wars I think is some of the most human AI in the sci fi universes, except maybe on Battlestar. Right.
2: Yeah, so, it's a little weird, too, because sometimes you don't know. I wonder how the droid rights are, because if you remember that scene where Leia's giving everyone a medal, she even gives to R2, although she skips Chewbacca, which I think is a crime. Yeah. But it seems like there is some degree of autonomy and intelligence amongst the droids. Like, R2 doesn't listen and does his own thing and becomes the hero of the whole series, in my opinion, but <laughs> he seems to make legitimate decision. So I'd assume that these medical droids have some kind of decision-making process. Maybe it's just really complicated programming. So it's kind of interesting. The droids make medical diagnoses. And like when Padme was dying, the droids said something like, oh, she's medically completely healthy, but she's lost the will to live. Very
0: strange for a computer. Like we we'd never hear that from, the, from any of the computers in like a Gene Roddenberry Star Trek universe.
2: Yeah, and, you and know, I don't think the, you'd hear it from like a doctor in general either, no, right? No.
1: <laughs> no, no. Sometimes I walk into the room and people have lost. The, in fact, as a palliative care fellow, sometimes that's part of my job.
0: Yeah, is <laughs> to is to determine what the will is for for someone to to say. And it is uh, it is somewhat true that you know you have to have kind of a volition, uh, especially when you're sick like that. It does help to have that little bit of oomph. But yeah, these sentient droids of Star Wars are very far and away from any kind of artificial intelligence that we have in today. It's artificial intelligence that people dream about. Until then, all of our robots then are guided by a human hand.
1: But even though they're guided by human hands, we've actually managed to achieve a lot of the same things that you see take place in Star Wars. So let's start with just surgical robots. So again, there's a midwife robot that helped with the birth of Luke and Leia, and surgical droids used to reconstruct Darth Vader. We actually have robots that can assist with, well, not so much giving birth, but oh, no. with a large <laughs> yeah, yeah, with a large number of obstetric and gynecological surgeries, and I like to call them Roby guides. Uh-huh. <laughs>
2: Those are the drugs you're looking for.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so robot-assisted gyne surgery basically means that the surgeon is using a robotic platform to do things such as a hysterectomy, where you take the uterus out, or prolapse surgery, where the uterus sort of falls out the cavity on its own. And it can do these surgeries in a minimally invasive manner. So the tools that normal surgeons use are a bit wiggly. They're long cameras on tubes. They are difficult to manipulate. Robot surgeries use much stiffer but more exact movements. And because robot hands don't tremble, you are able to be much more precise, and instruments can be inserted into the body or out. Now, these same robots are also used for other kinds of surgeries. And the actual robotic model is the Da Vinci robot.
0: I remember seeing it actually for the first time in, oh my God, it was on ER. The, the old show ER, they were talking about it. So the premise behind the Da Vinci is that they take the large movements made by our human hands and they replicate that movement in small scale. So if you raise your hand up while your hand is in the da Vinci control, say you raise it up three inches, it'll raise the instrument maybe a few centimeters or something like that. So you can make tiny, exact, fine movements, but still have the more gross movements that a person is used to making.
1: Yeah, so the da Vinci is normally used for gynecologic surgeries, cardiac valve repair, so if you have something wrong with your heart valves, or prostatectomies. But it's by far not the only robot that's used in surgery. The first robots actually were used back in 1985. The Puma robots were used to make brain biopsies with CT guidance. Oh, wild. and the ProBot in 1990 in London helped doctors perform prostate surgery. <laughs> <laughs> it had robotic fingers. And then the next generation is called the Virob. It's a miniature medical robot about the size of a flea, which is used in things like neurosurgery and pediatrics. It was developed in Israel in order to crawl through a human body, locate obstructions or tumors, and treat it with drugs. It measures about... A millimeter long, and it uses tiny arms controlled by magnets to propel its way through different cavities. So, if the thought of, I guess, robot bugs crawling under your skin doesn't bother
0: you, <laughs> yes, a la The Matrix.
1: Yeah, um, and then of course, you know, those are the fancy robots. But there's also robots even today that. Help to mix and measure medications that deliver things throughout the hospital. I don't know if any of you who have been in hospitals know those little rolling cabinets that get into elevators. It's it looks Aww. like a. I was hoping for drones.
2: A I was hoping for little <laughs> drones flying around, yeah. <laughs> giving you your like Amazon packages in the hospital.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not not quite, but there are a lot of pharmacy robots. Um, some of them look like drug cabinets on Roombas. Others are. I guess more Portal 2-like in appearance where they mix and fill different medications. But there's a whole host of robots available. And even now, they're trying to come up with robots to help care for the elderly. So, you know, rather than sit next to grandma all day, you put a robot in who can sing her songs, monitor her heart rate, and wirelessly transmit a bunch of medical information to the hospital, kind of like those life alert bracelets, but they follow you around. You can nice. buy grandma
2: a friend. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's called, one of the companies that's trying to develop them is called the CareBot. Aww. And that, the closest way I can describe it, it's by Gecko Systems. They're still working on all the algorithms, but it's like a slightly, there's no politically correct way to say this, it's like a slightly retarded C3PO. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a dumb companion. Yes.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And it it's basically just sits in the I mean it doesn't have the the effeminate voice or uptight protocols, but it, it does have a lot of those same functions. So in that sense we do have a number of medical droids. Now the next thing that we saw, the next topic actually, also was accomplished by two medical droids, and that was the replacement of Luke Skywalker's hand. Right.
2: <laughs> Did they give yeah. him a cool hand, Luke? <laughs>
1: I got a hand it to you, Crystal. That was a well-done pun. Now, the dream for years and years, I think ever since we all first saw Star Wars, is to have robot parts, right up until we saw Terminator, and then we were a little bit concerned mm-hmm. as to what that might imply.
0: Temporarily, temporarily.
1: Crystal, as our Rebel Alliance member, what can you tell us from what you remember about Luke's hand in the films what was it capable of what could he do with it Sort of, what was the extent of its function? Uh,
2: essentially, it was just a replacement hand. It could move, it reacted to, like, the little pinpricks that the robots were doing to test on it. Looked like it was covered with real skin. Probably seems like it, like, felt like real skin and reacted to him just fine. He worked just fine with his lightsaber. And Crystal, this thing could take a hit, too, right? It took
1: a hit from yeah. the blaster It kept going. Yeah, you're
2: right. Yeah, it uh- was, I guess, like a hand, but better. Yeah. Uh- <laughs>
1: Which, at the time the film came out, seemed, well, light years away Ah. from the prosthetics that we had available. Really, the most you could hope for if you had lost a hand was a fancy-looking hook and maybe a parrot.
2: Although (laughs) Star Wars takes place in the past, right? long, long time ago, a galaxy far, far away. That's true. We probably just lost that technology.
1: (laughs) So, in terms of achieving the Luke hand, I guess if we go all the way back... First to 2012 that's when we first learned how to manipulate robotic limbs uh, a study at the University of Pittsburgh was able to train a quadriplegic woman to manipulate a prosthetic limb just with hooking up her nerves to uh, basically she controlled it with her thoughts right. and in order to accomplish it back then they had to implant two 96-channel microelectrodes. So they had to put two little chips in her brain that had a bunch of inputs, and then those inputs could wirelessly transmit her thoughts from her motor cortex part of her brain to this robot arm and manipulate it. So that was sort of the beginning of having a mechanical limb operated by a human brain. However...
0: And should we give some backstory here, Josh? The ultimate goal is to use that hand just like Luke was able to use his hand. So we use our hand and our fingers without really thinking about it. The frontal lobe, the cortex on the opposite side of the the hand that you're trying to use. So if you're trying to use your left hand, it's the right brain. The right hand is the left brain. And so the motor cortex in there fires. It says, okay, move this part of the hand just like this this. There's some coordination with the parietal load and the cerebellum. There's a collection of signals, some feedback from the proprio-receptors, which actually tell us our own position in space. That's why you can take a finger from your left hand and touch the finger of your right hand by keeping your eyes closed. So this is the dream to have that. But you can also go one step down. You can say, okay, let's connect this hand to the nerves and the muscles that where the hand is missing in that stump and try to send some signals. So this was another path that some people tried to take, was to actually put the electrodes and the machinery on the stump of the wrist or the arm, wherever it was, and have that person move those now very small muscles and very small nerve impulses and try to get it to bend the hand in the ways that they wanted. And they were able to find out, yes, I can achieve control that way as well. Um, And that way you don't need a wire going all the way from your brain to the hand. So that's an alternative route. However, I think DARPA, you're about to say uh, our, our wonderful military came up with something even better, huh?
1: It's true, and that's not even the furthest we've come. But the next step in creating, well, a Luke hand, which is how really even the military is referred to it, and that ought to show you how how much influence. Luke's hand was able not only to do all the things that a regular hand could do, and in fact, it could do all the things. It could not only move, it could feel, it could sense, he could grip. So one of the biggest issues is most of these prosthetics, even when they can be controlled by your muscles, don't have actual feeling, which makes them very unwieldy to activate. So DARPA had a program called Reliable Neural Interface Technology, or the RENET program. And in cooperation with a college who had a flat interface nerve electrode, or FINE system, (laughs) It was so FINE. It was so FINE. And it basically began the process of Providing sensation from a mechanical hands to a real human brain, meaning if you touched a part on the robot limb, you would actually feel it as if your hand was being touched, although the, it would give the individual fingers of a hand the ability to feel their way around. Now, DARPA's RENET program was basically studying the viability of brain interfaces, so, how you hook up the brain and connect it to the mechanics. With the fine electrodes, it provided sensory feedback by connecting with the nerves that are left intact. So instead of just relying on visual feedback, meaning you see something and you can move your hand because you see it, the fine system allowed them to feel and touch their way around. Perhaps most exciting is just last year. So in May of 2014, Uh the Luke Arm Prosthesis by Dean Kamen received FDA approval, and it was created by DECA Research for DARPA. It took eight years of development and testing before it got that, but it translates signals from a person's muscles to perform complex tasks. So this arm is now pressure sensing, meaning, you know when somebody shakes your hand, you can feel how tight their grip is? Mm Mm-hmm the prosthetic arms are now capable of that. And to a limited extent, they're even capable, although we'll get into that with our synthetic skin next, they are somewhat capable of sensing temperature. But mainly, they're sensing pressure, which is the most important thing when you're trying to grip, turn, or usually operate your hand. Right. Think about when your hand is numb. When you, have you ever slept on your hand? It goes to sleep?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all <laughs> of yeah, a sudden, you go to pick up... Yeah, so you go to pick up like a plastic cup of water... And you overdo it, <laughs> and now you've got a numb
1: hand and a wet sleep. <laughs> and a drinking problem.
0: Ah, That's when I developed
1: that drinking problem. So that's the problem is most amputee hands, without that pressure sensation, it's just like having a limb that is always asleep, which can be very frustrating. What it uses is a special kind of plastic that has electrodes and carbon nanotubes that sense electrical activity on muscles close to where the prosthesis is attached. A computer built right into the prosthetic limb will receive the EMG signals and interprets them to make fingers open or close or change the grip to let somebody pick up a coin or an egg without crushing it. Because of course that's the other problem with a robot hand is just ceaselessly crushing living objects.
2: Oh, wow. So this thing can have, like, really fine motor skills then, because I I bet that's pretty hard.
1: It is incredibly hard. So it's basically you're hooking up a very advanced computer that plugs directly into your muscles, and the muscles and computer can interact to interpret what you are trying to do with your limbs. Now, that, combined with the fact that it can sense pressure, is what makes it so amazing. So the engineers realize, but This is still not perfect. To perform all those complex movements, think about it. Just trying to bend the tips of your fingers or close just two fingers or even flip somebody the bird, that's a lot of different muscles involved. (laughs) So to perform all those complex movements, because you don't want to deprive people who've lost a limb of the ability to flick others off, (laughs) the engineers had to add additional control inputs so their solution are special switches that also go on the user's feet. So you're basically using your remaining three limbs to control the fake one. So that's still pretty advanced, but not quite to the level where everything's being done with the Luke hand.
0: So I think the coolest thing that has come out of all of these technologies where the interface between the brain and the hand is becoming more and more understood and we're able to use things just like you said like using other limbs to control the one limb or using the stump or something like that is that people have gone out to try to make their own better version of a hand for cheaper and the the technologies that that has come together with all of the other neurological and robotic interface, has actually been 3D printing. And a bunch of people, even as young as 12 or 15 years old, have even 3D printed their own robotic hands and been able to sometimes provide hands that are just about as good as some of these 20000 $30,000 hands for something on the order of hundreds of bucks.
1: One of the other things I wanted to mention about Luke's hand, which sort of brings us into our next our next topic, is it wasn't just a robot hand that you saw Luke had, right? He wasn't walking around for the remainder of the Star Wars trilogy with a giant Terminator looking hand. No, no. It had skin on it.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: So one would I say like, like all I've right. Well, it off. well, sure. And then he his eyes glowed red and he had to protect John Connor. But, <laughs> so the skin not only could... So now we have a hand that can sense pressure, but the ability to sense heat or cold would also be pretty important as well. Or even just skin so it doesn't look like you have a giant, scary-looking robot hand. <laughs> or maybe you want that. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm, not, uh, I'm not a expert on future organs. That
0: was the Anakin so, arm. That was
1: the droid arm. Oh, there you go, the Luke hand and the Anakin arm.
0: The Anakin arm was, yeah, the Anakin arm looked just like, it, it looked like if someone had torn C-3PO's arm off and just put oh, it on him. I
2: think you after know. Vader was burned with that fight with Obi-Wan, I think yeah. they did, like, skin grafts on him, too, or something like that.
0: Whoever was treating Luke was being all nice and doctorly and everything and trying mm-hmm. to take care of him. The Emperor was just trying to, like, make me a fighter. <laughs>
2: <And> <laughs> he I was taped like, him oh, up this, and was like, good yeah,
0: enough. <laughs> good enough. What? Like, it doesn't look, oh, there's no skin, oh, there's no skin on it, oh, can it destroy stuff? Oh, we're, we're good, we're good. <laughs> and I we're believe
1: gone. that is the that is the origin of the phrase, good enough for government work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> good good enough for imperial work. <laughs> there we go.
1: <laughs> but I'm sure you can imagine that even if you have this fancy pressure-sensing robotic arm, if you cover it with skin, you're going to lose all that ability to sense pressure, right? Okay, yeah. It's like wearing a hand condom. <laughs> Or I guess a glove.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was trying to picture what a hand. No. Condom. No.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> hand co- glove. Oh, glove. We have a word for that. Yes. Glove. We'll use the word that's been around.
1: <laughs> well, if you've been around, you absolutely need hand condoms. <laughs> no, you should. You should all kinds. Always of condoms. practice
2: safe handshakes. <laughs>
1: Certainly, once we started making real progress with artificial limbs, we wanted to work on artificial skin. So there's actually a great article that came out in Science uh, only a month ago, well, two months, in October of this year, of 2015, that has, it's about a skin-inspired digital mechanoreceptor, which basically means synthetic skin that can feel pressure. And it relies on, again, carbon nanotubes and even to an extent 3D-printed skin or a synthetic rubber for the one that's non-3D-printed. It's stretchy. It's flexible. It's been made of a synthetic rubber that has a micron scale, which means very tiny, structures that make it sensitive to pressure, and it's sprinkled with carbon nanotubes that conduct electricity. So when the, series, so when the material's touched a bunch of pulses are sent from the sensor all the way to the receptor on either the limb or could be sent, if properly connected, all the way up to the brain. So this is only being tested in labs right now where they're seeing if, a, if brain cells could respond to electric pulses. So the synthetic skin was connected to a circuit, connected to a blue light, and when the skin was touched, if it worked correctly, the light would light up. And the trick now is to figure out how do you send So they know that circuits that are structured like the brain can respond to the skin being touched. And it basically shows brain cells would react in the same way as brains react to real skin being touched. So the whole idea of using light to stimulate brain cells is in an area of study called optogenetics, which if we can find an expert on, I would happily <laughs> do an entire episode on. Yeah, But yeah, ultimately the goal.
0: Yeah. Yes. No, optogenetics is absolutely fantastic. For the longest time, we thought we had to send a chemical or electrical signal straight into the cortical cell that we needed to stimulate, right? So it needed to be a, a zap or an, a biological chemical Electrical, or I should say, electrochemical movement to you know that cell, saying, oh, something's going on here. But now those cortical cells can actually be stimulated by light. So imagine that uh, you know if if you you know wanted to maybe take your skull off, and that you could shine a laser at a particular part of the brain and stimulate that part of the brain to do whatever that brain did. So move your hand or make you taste strawberries or remember the word dictionary, Uh, you know, whatever you wanted to do. And so that, that system now takes the need for an electrical impulse out of the picture. Yeah, so this is done in mice. (laughs) right now and it's
1: always done in mice. it's
0: always mice are so wonderful for this and one day they will rise up and kill kill us all because we've been (laughs) we've been messing with these guys for too long and some sort of rats of nim episode is coming up in our lives soon especially if you believe everything in uh hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy (laughs) So I did want to give the props to the wonderful people at Stanford who put together the data in this science paper. It's it's just awesome work.
1: So now we've moved from medical droids to the Luke hand, to synthetic skin, which, you know, again, as you were saying earlier, Santosh, we could eventually get to a point where we can just 3D print our own skin. You
2: know, how come they don't use, like, cloning technology, or do they, for making fake skin? Because, I mean, you know, Star Wars, Clone Wars, Clone Troopers.
1: (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Well, Well, stem cell technology is being used in some ways for skin grafts, but right now it's cost prohibitive. The amount of stem cells you need to make a very small patch of skin is simply not worth it. So the ability to have 3D printing with stem cells would certainly increase that process, but we need a better way... To come up with organic cells, and so instead we have to create synthetic versions.
0: Believe it or not, Crystal, the the generic way to do it is to stretch out a patch of skin that you already have, because skin is stretchy, right? Mm-hmm. And so you actually just—it uh, sounds a little scary—but you put a you put a little balloon under a patch of skin, usually under the like the top of your shoulder, like where your shoulder blade Can't you
2: is. You just get fat instead. And-
0: you totally. <laughs> I mean, I feel person, like that would be
2: much more pleasant. <laughs> we need you
0: to eat this
2: pie so
0: we can make more skin. No, <laughs> that would be fantastic. There's actually some some great places for grafts, but yeah, you you just you stretch the skin any way you can. If you have an obese person, you actually have lots and lots of skin you can play with. But if you don't have an obese person, you have to stretch the skin. So you actually just place a little balloon under there, and then you you inflate it every now and again until the skin gets stretched and now you have made excess skin that you can take off and graft but the other fun way to get skin is um, circumcision (laughs) Um, because leftover foreskin replicates beautifully when placed on a mesh and it actually it it replicates beautifully it forms a beautiful monolayer and it is a great source for extra skin
1: it also explains why all the clones. <laughs> it also explains why all the clones acted like a bunch of dicks.
2: Ah!
1: <laughs>
2: I'm just picturing Luke with a bunch of dick fingers now. This is terrible. <laughs> just,
0: <laughs> well, it would be one big, you know, because it would be continuous. Ken, I'm gonna stop. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would put a whole other layer into force choking. something. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <of it. laughs> oh. He's got the force choke going. I wonder <laughs> which which hand was it by the way guys that he he, he got It was his right hand. It was his right hand. So I'm wonder I'm hoping those pressure sensors were okay for happy happy fun time. Yeah,
2: I think, no, it's because it's actually sure like, tested like how sensitive his hands were, right? I, I, like I'm trying to like run through the scene in my mind. It's been a little while since I see it. Right. I think they even like, pinprick it of like, his fingers lacked Yeah,
0: so they actually see. So pinprick is pain, and those nerve fibers are the same ones that sense temperature, which are different from pressure. But pressure is important because you know if you wanted to get a grip on his thing, but not like too tight of a grip. Yeah, hopefully the pressure sensors worked well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you bring up an excellent. As long as we're talking about. Force choking, and I think we should go to the universe's most famous force choker, Darth Vader. Yay! Now, when it comes to medical technology, Darth Vader is somebody I have always found just immensely fascinating, even above and beyond his dark side and his evilness. The man is a walking hospital. Yeah, yeah.
2: He is. Yeah, he's he's actually like a, a robot walking than man, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, he's a walking life support system. He's like, uh, he's actually what Dick Cheney would be if we had <laughs> all of the. Because Dick Cheney was dragging around a heart in a box for a while. Remember that? Yeah. He, a, yeah, he had a ventricular assist device. He Darth made, Vader
2: made it way more stylish because he, he had on black and a cape. <laughs> L- <laughs> and,
0: the, and he didn't have to drag a cart. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, Crystal, why don't you review for us what were Darth Vader's exact injuries when he when he transformed from Anakin to Vader? What actually happens to him at the end of? The movie, for those of us who maybe have refused to watch Episodes 1, 2, and
2: 3. Uh, long story short, Obi-Wan had the high ground, which gave him plus one agility. He went and he kicked Anakin's ass, essentially. Well, there were lots of other things involved and a lot of CGI. Anakin got lavaed a lot. How during... many limbs cut off? It's almost all of them, right?
0: Yeah, one arm, one leg, and he was trying to pull himself along, and, and he got oh, lava yeah.
2: That's right, yeah. So two,
0: double amputation and, uh, Josh, I'd say thermal injury from lava.
1: including inhalation.
2: (laughs) Yeah, the inhalation, that was key.
1: So let's start with his injuries before we get to the suit. So yeah, you're right. During his duel with Obi-Wan on Mustafar, which is a planet I love saying, (laughs) Mustafar! (laughs) (laughs) Mustafar, (laughs) Mustafar,
2: Mustafar! (laughs) It
1: gives me shivers.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you are the one true king. You all that's how he got James Earl Jones was Mufasa, and then (laughs) the voice of Vader, and he got introduced after Anakin got burned on
1: Mustafar. If you want to really enjoy yours, do yourself a favor and watch the clips of the guy who plays Vader actually using his voice before they dubbed James oh, Earl yeah. Jones. Oh yeah! Really? Oh, so good. <laughs> it's, it's, find those rebels right now. This is very irritating. It's it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like Spaceballs, but actual Star Wars. <laughs> but let's let's go into Vader's burns. So, yeah, he had badly burned tissue, which I imagine could happen if you get burned by lava. Yes.
0: Force or no force.
1: Now, the Dark Lord of the Sith, Darth Vader, had a personal hyperbaric chamber within which he was able to breathe without the helmet and the mask of his suit. Normally, this would be impossible for the amount of damage he took with badly burned tissue, but in the in the film, an arm extended from the ceiling... Removed and held and replaced his helmet and mask. So the chamber, which he would basically sit in, it was a giant bubble. Right. Injected atmospheric gases and oxygen into the sealed volume from underfloor channels to sustain him. And he had built-in communication systems. So he had both Skype and Netflix in his little bubble to allow him to maintain contact. Because <laughs> that's the only way he could be out of the suit. Now hyperbaric chambers are something we already have. Yeah. Yeah. They're like just Dragon much. Ball. much- <laughs>
0: It's a little No no, you're thinking of a hypergrav chamber.
2: <laughs> hyperbolic, right?
0: Hyperbolic no, hyperbolic <laughs> chamber alters the space-time continuum. <laughs> yes, no, this does not alter time. Only oxygen. Or no. Atmospheric pressures.
1: Santos, do you know how hyperbaric chamber works?
0: Yeah, in fact we all learned about it together in our undersea medicine episode. And Hi, what
1: a wonderful <laughs>
0: reference. <laughs> so please go listen to the Undersea episode if you have the chance. Um, it is absolutely delightful and features Dr. Ward talking about his time as an emergency care physician learning about hyperbaric medicine. So a hyperbaric chamber, uh, the hyper meaning more than or over and above, and baric meaning pressure. So oxygen... It resides at about a partial pressure of about 20% of whatever atmosphere you're sitting at right now, and usually at sea level we're sitting at one atmosphere. But if you want to get more than a hundred, more than 20%, even more than a hundred percent oxygen, you increase the amount of atmospheres in that chamber, and now you can put in even more oxygen. Uh, Or you can change the pressure, say nitrogen or carbon dioxide, whatever you need to do. And the primary reason that this hyperbaric chamber is used is when divers who need to alter those pressures of various gases during the dive, they come back up too fast And all of a sudden, these gases become bubbles inside of their blood vessels. Not good. And you need to force those bubbles back into the blood to become solubilized. So you put them back under pressure. But instead of taking their head and shoving back under the water, you shove them back under the water. No. You take them out and you put them in this big, beautiful chamber. And you can make an artificial, quote, unquote, dive by increasing the pressure inside of this chamber.
1: With the basic theory, meaning burned skin has much poorer oxygen flow because you have destroyed a lot of that surface area and vessels and things like that, so it may still have flow, Mm -hmm. but it's very compromised. So by increasing the amount, by basically forcing oxygen in, you can heal or treat burned tissue and allow it to get as much oxygen as it would if it had normal structure and function.
0: Right, and this has actually been tried with things like gangrenous limbs, too. So not limbs that have been burned, but have maybe been starved of oxygen for a while because of a blood clot.
1: That's how he was able to survive outside. But his suit, I think, is the most impressive part of Vader because this suit has multiple functions. And in short, it is an exoskeleton that provides prosthetic limbs so Iron Man awesome to walk. Yeah, exactly. And the suit itself is integrated with medical technology such as a hearing aid because his ears got lavaed as well. It has IV feeding tubes because with burns that bad, he probably would have a lot of digestive issues. He may have had some esophageal burns. We don't know what happened to him. So we so can have feeding tubes yeah. okay. for medication and pain. And of course, that respirator. <laughs> the famous respirator.
2: Although, I now, guess if he has the feeding tubes, I wonder how he uses the restroom. Does it take him a long time to get out of that suit? Or does he just go in the suit? He, he
1: might just he go might in the actually have a suit. He might have a Foley and a colostomy bag built into the suit. Yeah. There you go.
2: The complete Automatic. package.
0: And, and if they're really good about it, just like the slipsuits in Dune, it'll recycle the fluids for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, despite extensive reading into what actually makes up Vader's suit, surprisingly, most of the people interested in Star Wars are not as focused on the medical technologies as we are. <laughs> I yes. like the
2: cape.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I always, every time I see cape, I think of the little girl, the woman from Incredibles.
1: Oh yeah, no, no cape, cape. <laughs> no cape, no <laughs> cape aspect of that I wanted to comment on two parts of this Darth Vader extra suit that we do actually have today so you could if you were particularly dedicated and very very rich build your own real life working replica of a Darth Vader suit Ooh, you're listening to the
2: same noise <laughs>
1: it, in, yeah, actually, it, it might because, one, now certainly if you look at most respirators, when people when you think of a respirator, you're probably thinking of somebody in a hospital next to a machine that's beeping with a tube going down their throat, Right. and that certainly is one form of respirator. Now, that can only be for a limited amount of time or else you're at an increased risk of infection, so after a while, rather than a tube down your throat, they poke a hole in your throat and hook the tube up to that. But, of course, you cannot. sure, but of course, people don't want to stay in a hospital bed all the time, despite what some of my patients seem to think. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, there are now portable and lightweight life support ventilators that you can walk around and wear, just like we see Vader doing. <laughs>
0: And, uh, Crystal, I'll, I'll actually be really geeky nerdy and have one nitpicky point. So, it, for Vader, you hear the respirator kind of going in a rhythmic fashion all the time, right? Yeah. So, unfortunately, the way the respirator works, because, you know, his his voice box seemed... I don't think it was an electronic voice box like a Stephen Hawking. It was his voice. So, in order to power that, if it was still using his lungs and everything like that, he would ha- he would sound very weird because he would have to go, Luke, I am your, you know, like it was. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Although you know, when he was yeah. dying in, in Luke's well,
0: arms, in, yeah,
2: yeah, he did kind of breathe funny.
0: He had to take a breath every time he wanted to speak, but I think there must have been some other tech at work that was able to allow him to respire, but speak, like, mid-breath, you know, without having to inhale, which is a very strange thing.
1: For all you know, he was being dubbed. (laughs) You take that back. No, I'm saying, well, I mean, he was being dubbed, but I meant in that perhaps... All his speech was on a slight delay. He would talk on the normal breathing pattern, but then the suit would translate it on a slight lag.
0: Oh, I see yeah. to make it sound more regular, so he doesn't sound
1: right If he had say a sub vocal mic built into the suit, that's what I'm telling you. this yeah. suit fascinates me <laughs> like i want an, I want the specs for what exactly is this portable keeping him alive but <laughs> but back to the to the respirator itself, sure now again, you might be wondering who's using portable respirators right. aside from, you know, Sith Lords and training. <laughs> and the question is people who suffer from neuromuscular diseases. So people who may have muscular dystrophy or... Lou Gehrig's. Cerebral Or Lou Gehrig's or cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. Um, other adult and childhood people who have muscle control where basically your muscles begin to fail as you get older. So Vader had to be in this suit all the time and just like... Vader, these life support, these portable ventilators have battery to weight ratios with an eight hour internal battery and a weight of only three kilograms or about seven pounds. Rapid. Two optional external batteries give somebody wearing this respirator a total runtime of twenty-four hours. Okay. So people who are chronically ill and may otherwise have to be in a hospital can get away for an entire day at a time. That's enough time to go to Disneyland and ride the hyperspace mountain.
2: <laughs> well, unless the line's
1: too long. I'm almost
0: certain they'd have some sort of cutties. I hope. So the I would hope.
1: This the company that makes this is called Resmed, and it's their Astral 150 life support. And in an interview with the <laughs> in an interview so cool. with the creator. <laughs> he actually said it was inspired by watching Darth Vader as a kid and thinking, why couldn't he or someone he knows be with destroy multiple planets walk? with a thought? No. <laughs> well, you have to be able to walk around <laughs> to destroy all those planets. So Yeah, so this is ResMed and these portable ventilators were launched back in two thousand fourteen. So this is again something we've achieved really just in the last year.
0: Very nice. All right. I'm so happy that they're doing that. But if nope. they start setting up mining operations for massive amounts of metal, and or post a moon-sized uh, blueprint somewhere that gets leaked, I've got my eye on
1: Now, the other part of Vader's suit is the fact that he can walk at all. I mean... You guys know how much I love my no-arms-no-legs amputee jokes, and their terrible puns. <laughs> <laughs> but realistically, how do you have a guy with only one leg be moving around? And that's Vader's exosuit. And what we have is an actual biologically-inspired smart suit that could either hook on to... So they've used these to actually help paraplegics or people who have... No feeling or sensation in limbs.
0: Right, and one Being of them. Yeah, one of the most famous recent examples was during uh, the FIFA World Cup. The ceremonial first kick was actually given by a paraplegic using an exosuit.
1: Yeah, meaning somebody who ordinarily is confined to a wheelchair always because their legs don't work, straps on a pair of these. And they're not quite robot legs, but they give strength and support to your legs, so you're actually able to have that control. Now, you still can't feel anything, but you're able to get up and walk and move around.
0: Yep. That's, it's pretty awesome.
1: And, of course, that was also developed initially by DARPA and their Warrior Web Program. <laughs>
0: So DARPA is actually planning on using this type of technology to not, you know, it's wonderful to help paraplegics live, but they're actually augmenting soldiers by putting them in these exosuits, which could actually give them endurance so they could march or walk for longer without getting fatigued, uh, speed or strength. So that's the ultimate goal of that exosuit
1: program. It's
2: like Iron they're, Man all over. technology for war. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. And then, well, actually, these were already developed for war, and now they're being brought into the peaceful right. market.
0: That's usually the way it goes, is that something's used to kill something, and then someone goes, wait, you can use this to not kill people. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh,
2: really?
1: Okay.
2: <laughs> it's like, can I sell no. it? Okay. <laughs>
1: So that kind of wraps up the part of this where we talk about real-world equivalent. As always, if you have any feedback or if you have any questions as an audience, by all means, please submit them. If
0: you disagree with our nerdy, nerdy answers.
1: Well true. if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please leave them on our Facebook page at facebook.com travel If you'd prefer to harass us individually, we're on Twitter. I'm at Dr. J Comedy. Santosh is at ToshiFro. Ward has no clue what's going on, but you can harass him <laughs> at Travel and Medicine. Our music is composed by Rachel Ledger. And guys, until next time As always, happy travels, and may the Force be with you. Always.